break and, and we spent um, Easter with family and friends and we went to a number of church services and while we were there, I was thinking about what, what we were missing here, missing the Good Friday service and the Sunday dawn service. But most of all, I was thinking about the fact that there were the baptisms um, that week. And I was really upset that I, that I missed them. But it made me start to think that perhaps what I'll do today is speak about what's next. Basically for the people baptised, because I thought about it when, when I was baptised, and so many people I know that get baptised, it's a matter of giving your life to Christ and making this public declaration. And you have the meetings with the pastor leading up to your baptism where you learn about baptism and you then on the day stand up and make that public declaration that I'm a Jesus follower, I believe, under the water, back out and off you go and what's next? What's next? I mean, is it 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? That's what it was for Jesus, but I don't think so. So, I don't know, I, I thought about it and I wanted to give a message today that was in some way biblically based instruction about what's next. And I wanted to do it in a way that was directed mainly at the new Christian because in 1 Corinthians... Paul spoke to Peter, obviously Peter, and they both spoke about new Christians, new believers, being like babies and needing to be fed milk. And that through the milk, the new believer can grow and grow until they're ready for solid food. When I was going through that and thinking about it, I started wondering about the people that I know and I was sitting on Easter Sunday having a look at the congregation in the church. Penny and I actually went to three church services on Easter Sunday and so I had a look at different people and I, and I thought about it and I, and I was wondering, and, and it's a question that I'll ask now as well, in that may, may have been a church-going Jesus following Christian for years. But are you still only being fed milk? Or have you, have you actually advanced on to be reading and looking and receiving solid food? So I had a look at that and I thought, so biblical instruction, what better place to look at than Proverbs. You see, Proverbs was written some 3,000 years ago, but, but the words and the truths found in those words really are still relevant to us today because Solomon wrote the majority of those Proverbs he was writing to his son. And he was writing these, these Proverbs to his son and he spoke about warnings against sexual impurity, about the dangers of alcohol, about the 
the need to search and chase after wisdom. He spoke about the fact and gave warnings against becoming a part of the world and the people of the world. And all of these instructions that he was given were pretty much to his son trying to warn him against the evil of the Satan. And that, that warnings are because Satan will do all he can to lie and steal believers away from God. And, you know, that hasn't changed today. We may sit back and feel that we are a different kind of believer than what they were in Solomon's days, but the devil hasn't changed. We may have changed, but the devil hasn't changed. And the way that he, that he steals, cheats, lies, hasn't changed at all. I mean, I know that this morning when I was sitting, well, Penny was having a shower and I was reading over my notes for today, I still, I know that the devil was still saying to me, don't know why you're bothering, you can't do this. He lies. So I decided that I'd have a look at Proverb 3. My decision was that I would see how far I can get in the time allowed today. I don't have to be home until 2.30. Carlton, Carlton versus Hawthorne starts at 2.30. So. so I've got plenty of time to talk, but I reckon that I'll be lucky if I can get through the first half a dozen or more verses. I'll see how I go unpacking that. So let's begin. So, verses 1 and 2. It says, My son, and I'm going by the New King James Version. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace will be added to you. You see, Solomon may have written the Proverbs and he may have been writing to his son, but, but we can be pretty sure that it's God's words through Solomon that we're receiving. So really, in essence, what he's saying here, and I think what God's saying here, is sons and daughters, don't forget my law and keep my commands. The word used in the Hebrew for law and commands is a word which is, and I'm going to pronounce this correctly because you know how good I am at pronouncing, yeah, tov, tovrati. So it's sons and daughters, don't forget my tovrati. And that means teaching and instruction. And it's actually the word that was used for the basis of the word Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, which are where we find laws and instructions. So we're being told here, don't forget my laws and teachings. And I think it's fairly clear that the only way you can 
forget something is if you knew it in the first place. So instruction number one from verse one is read your Bible. <laughs> so for the new, new Christian, there's your first instruction. It's pretty clear that we're being told there. And he doesn't say, read the New Testament. It's read the Torah, read the first five books, get to know the beginning. And verse 2 then offers a promise and a reward. It says pretty much, if my sons and daughters do this, length of days and long life and peace will be added. Length of life and long days. He's not saying if you follow the laws and commands, I'm going to make your days 26 or 27 hours long. It's, he's, he's saying that he will give long life a life that's overflowing with length and peace. He's saying that you will receive quality of life and quantity of life. So verse 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favour and high esteem in the sight of God and man. And again, we've got the odd verse being the instruction and the even verse being the promise and the reward. And it's that way the whole way through this proverb. But I think this one is a little bit more interesting and I, I actually find it a little difficult because God's telling us through Solomon, don't forget about mercy and truth. He's, he's saying don't give up on truth and mercy. And I find that to be a, a bit of a struggle in putting those two together because many times they're almost polar opposite. You know, if, you're, if you see someone doing something wrong, you're going to be really quick to hit them with the truth and tell them what they're doing wrong, not be merciful towards them. I mean, for those that have been watching the news lately in regards to um, what's been going on with Israel Folau, Israel Folau came out and said that homosexuals, drunks, fornicators, adulterers and liars are going to hell. And he's speaking the truth. But there's not a whole lot of mercy there, is there? But I think Jesus showed us, and I'm going to get Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 24 put up. Because Jesus showed us when in this time he spoke and he said, and it's, then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. 
For if the mighty works which were done in, in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for, you, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than to you. And what he's written there and what he's spoken there is absolute truth. He's spoken the truth. And he follows it in verse 25 and 26, saying, and it says there, at that time Jesus answered and said. Who is he answering? Does it say in the words before that that someone asked him a question? There wasn't a question. But it says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. And then he turned back to the people and said, All things have been delivered to me by, the, by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then he said, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And my, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that is mercy. So he's started off by speaking harsh truth to the people. He spoke harsh truth saying that it's going to be better off for, for Sodom than it is for you at the time of judgment. But then he offered them mercy and called them to him to receive that mercy. And we can learn so much from that ourselves. As it says in Proverb 3, that we are to not forget truth and mercy, mercy and truth. I and mean, if we have someone come to church on a Sunday and as they're coming to the door, we look at them and they look different, dirty, sinful in your own mind. We don't push them away and tell them they're not allowed in here. We welcome them. But having a welcoming heart and showing mercy to them isn't enough. We then also have to speak the truth. That may have been a word for Jacob. Keep talking the truth to him. We need to have mercy and truth. So that brings me to verse 5 and 6, and I think most people already know verse 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And again, we've got that same pattern, instruction and reward. But what I want to do for a moment before I go any further is to have a look at Solomon because Solomon wrote the Proverbs and I think for us to get a good understanding on what he's saying here, it's good if we understand where he's coming from. So Solomon, I think the best place to start would be his parents. Solomon's dad, we know, was David, king of Israel, and we probably know more about David than anyone else from the Bible because we've told that David was courageous, he was strong, he was wealthy, powerful leader. And we also know from what we're told through, through the Bible, through kings in particular, that he was attractive and physically appealing, it says. But we also know that David made a mistake through falling for the beauty of Bathsheba when he saw her in the bath looking down on her. And we know that he had a man murdered so that he could be with her. So that's... That's what we know of the, the parents. We know that they were both physically attractive, rich, wealthy, powerful, courageous, and they were leaders of the nation. And from that, Solomon, we can assume with parents like that, was also attractive. He was also then wealthy because he inherited everything. He was wealthy. He received the power of the, of the throne when he became king. So attractive, wealthy, powerful, and the leader of the nation. And God came to Solomon and pretty much said that he would offer him what he wanted. And with all that, the you know, looks, money, power, everything that he already had, he said he wanted the wisdom to lead God's people. And God was pretty impressed with that. And so God granted him the wisdom and because he was impressed, he also threw in some more money and some more power and what have you for him. And so that was the beginning for Solomon. And he did pretty well. He, he led the people and they built the temple. They built the palace, the great wall. They, he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and he 
know, dedicated the whole lot of that to God. And once he'd done that, I don't know if he felt that he'd accomplished everything that God wanted him to accomplish. I don't know if it was that he felt that he'd done more than what his dad did because his dad didn't build the temple, his dad didn't build the palace. He did that. I did that. I want a little bit for me. So he then started doing a bit for himself. He took 700 wives. He took 300 concubines. And with that, these wives that he took were all from different nations. A big part of it was a bargaining power that I think, and this is, I think it was a bargaining power that if I go and marry the king's daughter of that nation, the king's daughter of that nation, then they're not going to fight against me if their daughter's here. Because he brought these people in, these wives from other nations, he also then built temples and altars to their gods. So he, it doesn't say in the Bible that he, that he stopped going to the temple and worshipping God. It doesn't say that anywhere. But I, but I kind of feel that he probably went to the temple and gave his praise and worship to God and then he went off with the others, his wives and their people, to their altars and that. Does that sound familiar for anyone? Church on a Sunday, giving worship and praise to God and then go out into the world and leave all that behind for the week and just come back for the following week? Well, for Solomon, that made God angry. And God came to him for a third time. He'd been twice before to Solomon, but he came to, to Solomon for a third time and this time he was angry. And he told Solomon that he would send adversaries against him and that his son would never be king. He'd made, God had made a deal with David that the, the next king would come from his bloodline. But God said to Solomon that that's where it stops. He, out of his God's love for David, he would leave Solomon as the king, but his son would never be the king. And so I think in, in Proverbs 3 verse 5, I think what Solomon's saying there is something along the lines of, son, don't make the mistakes that I've made. It's my fault that things aren't working out for you. But if you put your trust in the Lord... He will make things right because he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He doesn't say put 50% of your trust in God. 
not 60 or 70%. He says 100%. Put all your trust in the Lord. And he says that if you do this, God will set your path straight. And that takes us to verse 7 and 8, which is, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. This is sort of the same but opposite of what 5 and 6 are. 5 and 6 are saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's a do this, trust in the Lord. But in the next it's saying, don't be wise in your own eyes. And being wise in your own eyes, pretty much pride. And we're warned against pride a number of times in the Bible. Pride. I mean, be pride in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Being wise and prideful, I don't think are the same, not by a long shot, because if, if you think that you are more wise than God, the one that knows everything, the one that knows what's going to happen before it happens, that's not wise, that's stupidity. You know, to think that you know more than God. And that took us, takes us to 9, 10, 11 and 12. Honour the Lord with your possessions and with your first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, instruction followed by promise. And the two after that which are, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, a father the son in whom he delights. I find it really interesting. If I look at that, I think that um, the first two about giving your possessions, the first of your possessions, your first fruits, is pretty much about tithing. And don't you find it interesting that that's followed straight away with verses about correction. Offer the Lord your first fruits, an instruction about tithing, and then straight away giving you correction that will probably upset you because it says don't despise it and you're not going to despise it unless it's going to upset you, are you? So he's pretty much put those two, and I, I, I don't know if, it's, if, if I'm right in this, but he's making it pretty clear that if you give your first fruits, that an offering of your possessions to the Lord, then he'll make everything right. Your vats will, over, will overflow with, with new wine. Your barns will be full. But if you don't, just be aware that you'll probably be um, given a bit of correction from, from God himself. So as I said, Proverbs 3 has pattern where 
The first verses are instruction, and the odd, that's the odd verses, the even verses are the promise of reward of some, some form. The pattern that I like, if you look at all of the odd verses in a row, it's pretty much, don't forget the law, but follow God's commands. Show mercy and truth. Trust in the Lord 100%. Don't think that you're wise yourself. Honour the Lord with your possessions and don't be upset if God gives you correction. For a new believer, a new Christian, those that have just made that public statement standing there before being put into the water, I think that's pretty much the first five or six things that you need to know if you're going to want to lead a life that's pleasing to God. Have a look at your Bible. Read the laws and know the commands. Show mercy and truth. Not just one, but show both of them. Trust in the Lord 100%. Don't think that you can do it yourself. Don't think that you're wise. Honour the Lord with your possessions and don't be upset if God corrects you. Because, you know, the even ones pretty much is God saying back to you that if you do this, you're going to receive quality and quantity in your days. You'll find favour and high esteem with men and God. God will direct your paths. You'll get health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow. And just like a father corrects his son because he loves you, God will also correct you and that's simply because he loves you. So whether you're a new believer or someone that has been going to church for many years. They're the instructions that are just in the first, what was it, 12 verses out of 35 from Proverbs 3. Have a read of the rest of them because it continues on in the exact same way where you receive instructions and then the promise of reward if you follow those instructions. And I'll get the um, music team to come back up. And while they're coming up, I'll tell you something that happened to Penny and I on the way. When we were going through um, for our holiday to Melbourne, we were going along the Monash freeway and travelling along and as we were coming up towards the tunnel I was in the middle lane we're in an 80k zone but the car in front was going a bit slower, it was probably only doing 70, 75 or so and, um, and I was behind that the left hand lane when you get to the tunnel, veers off and goes into the city. And before that, 
there's traffic coming in on the left-hand lane, so I didn't want to go to the left lane. When we got through the tunnel, I had to take the first off-ramp to the left, so I wasn't going to get in the right lane. But as we're going along there at about 70, 75 kilometres an hour, all the traffic was cut that was in the middle lane was coming up behind me, over to going out to go around me. All the traffic coming out and going around. But as we got to the tunnel, and what I didn't realise then, but I know now, was that it was five o'clock at night. We, it was peak hour traffic. Even though it was a public holiday and there was not a lot of traffic around, it was every, the um, speed zones obviously are programmed. And being that it was a Friday, Good Friday, the right lane becomes 60 kilometres an hour. So as we got to the tunnel, all those cars that had been zipping around me, we just cruised on past them. I think when we're going through life's journey down this road that we're travelling, we're pretty much the same as those drivers that were going around me into the right lane. Where we drive along this road of life, but we see what we think is the best road, the best lane for us to take, and it's the fastest, easiest lane. But just like it was for them, it's also...